Thank you for choosing Electronic Audio Services by Hippie Pink Ferret. The tape deck is now accepting media. Please insert tape. Please insert tape. Please insert... Reviewing. Label identified. Dada or Nothing, Season 1, Episode 8. Field trip to showstoppers. Spectacular costumes from stage and screen. Playing preview. You're listening to Dada or Nothing, a variety show about the visual and performing arts presented by Hippie Pink Ferret. I'm your host, Jojo, and this week we're going on a field trip. Please input your member PIN number to unlock this content. It's great to have you back. Launching record. Today in the studio, welcome back, Maddie Oldham. Oh, hey. Oh, my God. Are you like a part of the podcast now? So here's the thing. I started out as a guest, and I'm slowly but surely becoming a season regular, and I'm feeling real good about it. But we do have a fresh voice for you in Erin Walsh. Say hello. Hi. She's just wonderful. Erin brings a very good energy to the studio. She's really balancing out the chaos with a different strain of chaos, which I think is really welcome. Wow, that's the biggest compliment. I'm blushing because I'm like a fan. I'm so happy to be here. So today we are coming together to talk about Showstoppers, Spectacular Costumes from Stage and Screen, which was a pop-up museum in New York. This episode is dedicated to my longtime friend, Aaron Bernardi, who came with us to Showstoppers and unfortunately could not record with us. But I'm sure we'll have her on the show soon enough. Love you, Aaron. Three voices detected. Now analyzing speech patterns. Maddie, Mm. another fun fact about yourself, please. If I wasn't named Madeline, the next most likely name I would have been was Trixie, which I think would have sent me down a totally different life path. Trixie? (laughs) Yeah, like I'd be in a different place doing a different thing. I've heard about studies where like even the first letter of your name will affect your personality. I believe that fully. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll have Judy the Robot fact me on that. Actually, that is all a lie. Judy is like, you're talking nonsense. (laughs) Oh, is that who Judy is? Is this the moment where we learn that her name is Judy? She is officially Judy. Wow. Welcome to the show, Judy. Fact check. The host is referring to investigations into the Dorian Gray effect. Named after the famous Oscar Wilde character, it suggests that internal factors like personality or self-perception can influence physicality. Studies such as We Look Like Our Names, the manifestation of name stereotypes and facial appearance done by staff at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem ask if there's a pattern to be found between people who have the same name, studying how names can have social consequences that then influence an individual's behavior, which in turn can affect appearance. (gasps) Judy, she's here. (laughs) Judy, how was your weekend? During the indicated period of time, the system discovered several ways to optimize performance. This unit is now running 0.69% more efficiently. Nice. (laughs) Nice to hear, Judy. Nice to hear. I'm a fan. Erin, a fun fact about yourself, please. I identify as Gonzo. Like, the Muppet thing. My gender is Gonzo. (laughs) Ah, yes, the third gender, Gonzo. Wait, okay, did you guys see this? There's a Muppet Babies episode where Gonzo comes out as non-binary. Oh, I did see that. Oh, well, I guess my gender is Gonzo. Your gender is Gonzo. My gender is Gonzo. I guess that explains it. I guess (laughs) So what else about Gonzo do you identify with? I mean, I aspire for the style. When he shoots out of the cannon, he has like the whole thing. He does. Oh my God, yeah. Task complete. The host of the program has been identified as... System unsuccessful in identifying guest speakers. 
temporary profiles for parallel universe Trixie and the third gender Gonzo have been created. Part 1. Costumes, Coalitions, and COVID-19 This entire event is hosted by the Costume Industry Coalition. Founded May of 2020, we'll be referring to them as the CIC. The founder, Brian Blythe, he is the business manager at John Christensen in New York, which is a costume shop. In 2020, when Brian closed his books for his shop, they lost 26.6 million dollars in gross revenue. A lot of different parts of the industry could zoom each other, but you can't really do that with costumes, can you? So. So Brian said to all the shops, even though they are cordial competitors in the industry, it was important in the face of the pandemic to be united, to be a stronger voice for the industry that they could use to ask for help so they can survive long enough for Broadway to fully come back. The CIC is made up of over 55 unique independent businesses and hundreds of artisans in and around New York City. The exhibit is meant to act as a fundraiser for the recovery fund. A fun fact about Broadway is that as an industry, Broadway brings in more money than all of the New York sports teams combined. Like every New York major league sports team, the profits don't even compare to the profits made by Broadway. Fact check. Back in the 2014-2015 season, compared to Broadway's 13.1 million tickets sold, the Mets, Yankees, Giants, Jets, Rangers, Islanders, Devils, Knicks, Nets, and Liberty combined sold far fewer tickets in their respective full seasons at the time. A rough difference of 2.7 million, as the Broadway League proudly pointed out. Their last release pre-pandemic stated that Broadway shows yielded $1.8 billion in gross sales between May 2018 and May 2019, making it the best season in recorded history as well as the best attended. There are a lot of moving parts to the arts. But arts aren't as important as sports. Of course not. Of course not. You're an artist? Just die, frankly. Just <laughs> Yo, just so hobby. Perish. Perish. Be dramatic about it, why don't you? <laughs> Have a whole scene. Now, tell me if this is out of your type, but somebody with a real fucking job, can you... <laughs> I think that's a role of a lifetime for you. Real work. Love to see it. <laughs> you run a podcast. You talk about visual and performing art, something that can't connotate to an audio medium. Wow. Sorry, I roasted myself. I gotta, I gotta I know, put the fires like, out. Aaron and, I were, Aaron and I were like, yeah. Oh no. Right. Uh, <laughs> when you get too into the bit. Yeah, when, when you get too into the bit, you're like, yeah, and I'm ugly. I'm so <laughs> when you're like, yeah, I should just die. I should just die. Kill me. This exhibit was a real originally intention to have a shorter run. I found this video that was back from August and it said it was supposed to close on September 26th. It got extended so long that its must close date is now December 5th. It was that popular. Oh wow. The costumes that are on display encompass a range of different industries. You have Broadway, you have dance, opera, TV, theme parks, cruise lines, and film. Something that was also cool was that as you walked through there were little checkpoints with a QR code to a virtual program. Each part of the exhibit showcased a certain aspect of the costumes. There are several live demonstrations offered at different times on different days to show what costume designers do as well as their work. For instance, Penn and Fletcher does machine embroidery demonstrations, Polly Kinney does beading demonstrations, other shops like the Lynn Mackey Studio and Timberlake Studios do stuff as well. The shows that you can expect to find at Showstoppers are... 
Commence side quest. A soldier's play. Aladdin. American Ballet Theater. Bard Summerscape. Black Panther. Broadway Bears. Broadway Cares. Equity Fights AIDS. Cave of the Heart. Chicago. Christmas Spectacular starring the Radio City Rockettes. CIC members. Come from away. Dear Evan Hansen. Dickinson. Dragus Maximus. Frozen. Golden Child. Hamilton. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Heartbeat Opera. Hurry up, we're dreaming. The Martha Graham Dance Company. The Marvelous Mrs. Mays. Moulin Rouge. Mrs. Doubtfire. The Museum of Broadway. New York City Ballet. No time to die. Norwegian Cruise Lines. The Phantom of the Opera. Playbill. Respect. Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Roundabout Theater Company. San Francisco Ballet. Santa Fe Opera. Signature Theater. Six. Starlight Express. The Broadway Podcast Network. The Cher Show. The Lion King. Whipped Cream. Wicked. Task complete. However, they do have a window display. I don't believe it was made for any show because the text said it was a piece called Rejuvenation by Rick Lazes. That is L-A-Z-E-S. No disrespect if I pronounce that wrong. I'm so sorry. Judy, help. Don't ask Judy to pronounce anything. Judy's like, that's <laughs> not my skill set, girl. <laughs> Rejuvenation was specifically made to celebrate the reopening of stages worldwide. Thousands of people returning to work. The mannequin is posed above torn floorboards peeled upwards to give the fact that the mannequin is floating and she's simply gorgeous she's this big red feathery thing i kind of like that the costume was specifically made to be art yeah and and to symbolize this whole museum piece in general she's really out there showgirl making a statement when you walk in you need to provide your vaccination card as well as your ticket it was a 30 dollars face value but there were some discount codes i found thank you honey fact check this episode is not sponsored by Honey, but the system's readings on the host's emotional state indicate that they would be, quote, totally game for such a sponsorship. Let's take bets. What was the time frame from idea to execution that this exhibit went up? I would like to do a dot or nothing and make it a multiple choice question. <laughs> they said normally it would take two years, and I will give you a hint that it was faster. I'm going to say three months. Three months? I'll say six months. Maddie, you are the closest. It was three and a half months. Ooh. That's quick. That's impressive. How did they make it so much faster? I couldn't find any exact reasons, but I think because uh, it's a fundraiser and the needs were so immediate. Especially if you have a lot of people in this industry that are currently still not working and this is an opportunity for them to do something for their community. Like I can imagine that lights that fire. The exhibit itself is two levels. It's not a particularly huge space, but I think that works very much to its benefit. There is like a certain designated flow you're supposed to take, but the attendants didn't really mind if you backtracked and got up close and personal with the cops. Costumes. We went first thing in the morning and people were wanting to bust down the door before the place even opened at 11 a.m. After that initial influx, it was still nice and breathable. It wasn't crowded. There was enough room for people to move around. I'm realizing why these things are getting put in Times Square. It's bringing in as many people as possible. What were your expectations going in and how did the exhibit either meet or change your expectations? I didn't really set many expectations going in. I was just like, it's going to be costumes. It's going to be great. Just immediately walking in like how open everything was and all of the different textures and colors. It was just like a little overwhelming. <laughs> I remember there was the little audio of one of the costume designers. You hear the costume designers and costume builders on what they have to say about working on the shows and about the community as a whole. And I, I, I feel like I got a lot from that and really got to hear their perspective on things. There was a lot of that throughout the museum. I liked how you called it a maze, kind of. That's a self-reference, uh -huh. actually. Some background information. The space itself 
itself is formerly the home of uh, Models. Models, the sports? Yes, Models. Ha, as resident former athlete, Models. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an abandoned Models. I was just like, is it upstairs? No, the sign's just still there. They said the bats are gone. We brought in beads. We brought in the pretty clothes. <laughs> we can't miss it. It's between an Applebee's and an AMC. <laughs> a little piece of heaven tucked right in. Yeah, yeah. like I sidestepped a puddle of urine. Literally a hellscape. A hellscape and then this beautiful <laughs> Tony Award winning designs. I'm like, mm. that was part of the display. It was part you of know? the experience. It's a statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The puddles. Madison International Realty provided the space and this world-renowned design firm, Think Design, are responsible for the setup of the pop-up. They actually worked pro bono. They worked for free 99. They have transformed the Times Square space into an immersive maze featuring more than 100 of the industry's most beautiful and complex garments. It did feel like that, yeah. Getting lost. Somehow I ended up in one of the costumes. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I was a candy cane snake. I was slithering around. I didn't know how to get out. I was like, I just met this girl and she's on the floor. All right. I like her vibe. What about you, Maddie? Maybe I'm a pretentious person, but if I can go somewhere else in the city that's not Times Square, boy, oh boy, I'd much rather be there. But what I think speaks to how they set up the exhibit is that once you got in there, it was so immersive. You felt so a part of this historical journey of costuming that I forgot that I was in a part of the city that I'm not particularly fond of. There was a lot of intention behind which shows they featured in which section to showcase different things about the costumers. Like the beading area are shows that I may not have initially associated with beading, but then when I see the costumes up close, I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that there was this much intricate beading work in that costume because I've only seen it from so far away. You can't touch anything, but there are signs that encourage you to literally stick your face and like <laughs> examine fine detail. I looked over at Aaron at one point and Aaron was yes. like deep, deep in those beads. There was exactly 14,700 <laughs> on this dress. It smelled like winter magic. It's exactly as I thought it would be. But like they have to create things thinking of how it's going to read from the audience, but looking at it that close up, seeing how each individual piece makes it. You're making a costume for the front row and the back row. You're trying to have a costume that is like beautiful for the people that are up close and also for photographs and for promotional purposes, but you make it still read to the poor folks like us in the nosebleeds. So Donna Lagman from Donna Lagman Costumes LLC said she wasn't worried about people seeing everything up close because it was like seeing old friends. A quote from her is, hundreds of years of knowledge are what is at stake here. If we don't make it through the pandemic to the other side of this, a lot of that knowledge will be lost. I'm glad things like this are happening because it's introducing it to a whole new generation. It's also just like providing visibility for like the humans that are behind this. I really enjoyed getting the name to all of these things where otherwise I would just know like the actor's name because everyone will know the Broadway actors that play the characters in Hamilton or play the characters in Dear Evan Hansen. But to provide a face to the person that made the costume that is the recognizable thing about that character I would love to go see an exhibit just like this about lighting or about yeah. like stagecraft, just providing that. Especially with the strikes going on within the entertainment industry. A like great it's, point. it's clear they need more respect. They need to be treated well. And, and that starts with seeing everything they do and noticing the importance of those aspects of theater and stage and everything that goes into it. This gave a stage for those people and like a spotlight for them that they don't usually. There's a whole like video display in the one area that talked about the fact that so many 
many people that work in the costume industry are also like immigrants or women of color. It's predominantly a female yeah, industry yeah. and how you hear all about like the male producers of these shows, but not the women that have been running these hugely profitable costume shops for 20 plus years. It's so important for each aspect of theater to have such an intense respect for the other ones. Tom Hens, he's the Think Design founder. Here's a direct quote from him about the exhibit. They'll come for the costumes and leave remembering the people. They begin to feel a part of something that they hadn't expected to feel a part of. He really wants people to feel included and that it's something that is tangible to them. Outside of the costume industry, I think it's kind of hard to grasp how long it takes to make clothes, especially that are supposed to be on stage. I thought the exhibit did a really great job of being immersive in that way and providing the connective tissue between designs of the same designer in different shows. Like if you read two different books and you're like, oh, they are by the same author because there's something that is so specific. Different costumes for the same show are sourced to multiple studios. Donna Lagman, her shop is responsible for Rose Wiseman's clothes in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and specifically Angelica and Eliza for Hamilton. That's something I didn't quite realize. I think that speaks a lot to the creative team and coming up with those vision boards, those renderings, so that there is a cohesive vision of what it's going to look like so that they can outsource it and give lots of different designers many opportunities to work on the same show. When you get to that grander scale on Broadway and everything gets more elaborate, it's hard to keep everything in one spot because you, you physically don't have the manpower to do all of it and work on more than one thing at once. Maybe there's someone that is crafting it as a whole, as accordance to the, the character, and then one person that is doing the beating. There's so many different people that contribute to one costume. I think the mind of a costume designer is so fascinating because you have to be a dramaturg as well. Where are we drawing our inspiration from? What is accurate to the time period? You have to think about not only the actor's measurements, but how comfortable they are moving, especially if you're doing something like a ballet. It needs to be incredibly flexible. Golly, there's got to be a person in it. Hope they're fine. Hope they're okay with that. <laughs> Hippie Pink Ferret apologizes for the interruption. It is time for the service's hourly scheduled test of the emergency advertisement broadcasting system. Your program, Dada or Nothing, will resume following its conclusion. This concludes the test. Resuming program. Part 2. Highlights Reel. Subsection Alpha. Sideshow 1997 and the Museum of Broadway. Fun fact that I learned, there's going to be a Museum of Broadway. Oh, yeah, Ooh. like what? In 2022, so look forward to the future, there'll be a permanent museum dedicated to just Broadway. It'll open in the heart of Times Square. It is an experiential museum. You walk in and you get cast and you have to perform a 30-minute <laughs> musical in order to get through the exhibit. And you'll be Gypsy Rose. Go! Yeah, go, go, go. <laughs> go. The costume designer <laughs> shuffling putting you in a costume. The ensemble members are giving you funny looks because you got the lead. There's no measuring. Throw it on. <laughs> just like, no. So it'll celebrate Broadway in its entirety, its history, a bunch of behind the scenes stuff, game changers. So there's a little teaser for the Museum of Broadway. There are two costumes from the production of Sideshow in 1997. The mannequins are shoulder to shoulder. Sideshow, not a COVID safe musical. I was like, um, can we have some social distancing? These two costumes are some of the cooler beaded pieces and they were designed by Tony Award winner, Greg Barnes. These were some beads that Aaron 
Aaron was huffing, yes. There's some good tasty beads. When you get up close to them, the beading is done in these circular designs. <laughs> Which, yeah. what? How do you plan that out? That's why I was so glued to it. I feel like I was being like hypnotized by them. I'm wondering if the beads are connected to this mesh sort of material. It looks like it's just entirely beads. They're multiple colors. These secondary colored beads are creating these kind of star patterns in it and creating lines, a sense of flow and verticality in the dress, which <laughs> when's the last time you thought about verticality in your dress? I don't even iron them. Subsection Bravo. Moulin Rouge. In this exhibit, they provide a sample of a costume Bible. Basically, it's a giant binder or series of binders that contains every costume design. It includes preliminary sketches to final sketches, swatch cards of fabrics and sources and pricings, and all the fitting notes. Obviously, you need the measurements of all the actors that are involved. I just love the aesthetic of Moulin Rouge. 180 artisans worked over 36,000 hours to create costumes designed by award-winning costume designer Catherine Zuber. Um... Pretty sure I would die. Don't they say in order to master something, you have to do 10,000 hours of it? So they said, hey, we'll master just this specific part of costume design three times over, and then you know what? We'll do another show. If you're curious about the metric, it is the equivalent of one person sitting down for 1,500 days and never stopping to sleep, eat, or do anything else. When all the girlies are like, theater is life. No, like, it's a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> when I stepped out of the costume shop, they were celebrating the new millennium. Oh, golly The gosh. Jonas Brothers Year 3000 is just about working in the costume industry. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there's a couple costumes on display. Obviously, you get some sateen on her Diamonds Are a Girl Best Friend swing, which I'm obsessed with. The diamonds on the fishnet tights? How are they not constantly falling off? Yeah, that really got me. Because we were saying it can't be, you know, like hot glue or anything. That would just pop right off. Pop it right off. It had to be sewed on somehow. Or... For details that small, like, my fingers are too fat. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. I'm sorry, sateen. You just have to go out like that. Subsection, Charlie. Disney's Frozen. In the Disney section, there's two Elsa costumes, the coronation one with the gloves on it, but also her Snow Queen dress. More tasty beads. I didn't expect the fabric to be so thin. It's trying to resemble ice. You, you can see it glimmering even on the cape too. It just looks like a sheet of ice. To include us in the process of how a costume gets designed, the Frozen exhibit points out most costumes begin as mock-ups with less expensive materials. Commonly, it's muslin or even paper. They adjust the costume by pinning working with the actor's body to know where they have to start and what they have to make because it must be awful to have to start over. <laughs> I would love to see like a separate side exhibit of just like costume fails from these types of shows. Like, oh no, Elsa was going to be orange at one point. Gross. Subsection Delta. Six. These were my favorite because I thought they were the best. I like their economy of detail. The fun thing that we were talking about while we were viewing these costumes is they have this great sense of anachronism. You have like bustier tops, which has been relevant throughout history, but you also have a peplum skirt, which is very reminiscent of the early 2000s style. The way they use the silver hardware, it also gives it like a futuristic appeal. So timeless, but also referencing so many different time periods, which I think mm -hmm. gives the show itself longevity. It's so interesting that they can have all these different influences and feel like they're tied together to create a setting, it plays into the theme of what the show is, reimagining these historical figures as glam rock queens, talking about their experiences. What a wonderful way to learn about that history in a contemporary language. They also have the wigs on them, which are amazing. They create these paper craft wigs to simulate the hair that the actresses would have on stage, which I'm so glad they did. It's so integral to how the pieces operate. So 
if you go on the sixth musical fandom, it talks about how each of the costumes also have meanings. For example, Catherine of Aragon, she's the gold one. So high class people in Tudor times are allowed to wear gold clothing. It represents her power and prestige because she was queen for the longest amount of time. This was also a reference to Beyonce. Look at Catherine Pars. The outfit is blue to show her wisdom. The puff sleeves are similar to Henry's and she inherited most of his belongings. Catherine wears trousers, which may be because she outlived Henry and wasn't a queen at the end of her life. Which may be a reference to how Catherine Parr was a strong feminist. She's the only one that wears trousers other than alternates in the show. The incorporation of all these different inspirations, color psychology, like color symbolism, and the actual history behind these characters. How do you incorporate that many ideas and still have such a readable silhouette? I think that's what proves that costumes are so important because you can only have a certain runtime for shows. The costumes come in and suggest all of that history and bring that to the forefront. What somebody wears says a lot about who they are. The costumes and everything that they embody also helps the actor keep in that energy. Absolutely. Like if you're wearing a garment like that sideshow dress and you're wearing hundreds of thousands of beads, that communicates a level of opulence and wealth that then you're going to be taking on as the character in knowing like how much time it took to make. Before we move on, I just want to state that I really appreciate the show for even though it's a historical piece technically there's a lot of diversity in its casting if you're going to break open the story to add so many fantastic elements why would you weirdly draw the line at the race of the characters like everyone from that time period is dead no one's gonna care exactly anyone can be part of that storytelling i did want to point out the fact that we noticed most of these costumes were like a conventional very small person there isn't a lot of size inclusivity in like the mannequins and the costumes being shown but i think as broadway is reopening there seems to be more of a push for a stage on Broadway that more accurately reflects the world, how they want the people on the stage and the people behind the scenes to be reflective of just more people, just more diversity, more variety in like shapes and body types and sizes and all of those things. While we are celebrating this wonderful sense of inclusivity that we're seeing bubbling up, there still is a lot of way to go. Subsection Echo, Hamilton. Of course, they have a nice big section dedicated to just Hamilton. And then the the color themes that play into that. So the associate costume designer for Hamilton held up a $10 bill to get the right shade of green fabric for Alexander Hamilton's costume. And the one she found was so delicate that it mentions that it was frequently replaced. Something that stuck out to me was the costume for Jefferson. Jefferson's costume was supposed to be just this plain brown. Jefferson himself as a historical figure wasn't really known for his fashion. When David Diggs came on and started to give this performance that's a little bit more flamboyant, a little bit more rock star, the costume designers added a more dandy, fun, bright, expressive, unique color to the palette of the show specifically for him. I kind of really like the idea that the actor can influence the ideas going into the show. I think that's so cool that David Diggs brought so much to the role that it actually affected how the character was not only perceived, but written. It really goes to show how many different sources help mold the identity of a show. Also gives the actors playing Jefferson moving forward something about the character that he's wearing this flamboyant suit and not a brown suit and is opposing someone also wearing like a strong colored suit like that establishes that dynamic between the two characters and it informs the actor about how they should approach that role. They know something about the character because of the way it's being costumed. Subsection Foxtrot, 
Norwegian Cruise Lines. The big exhibit on the top floor, it's called Glamour on the High Seas. There are several costumes that were on the Norwegian Cruise Line. They are showgirls from a production of Paradis and are a tribute to the glory days of the Parisian cabaret. Each and every single costume, down to the accessories, the headdress, the shoes, they're all unique to that particular actress. If these were dyed, must have been intense because they are all the same shade of red and some of them are beaded, some of them have reflective surfaces. So to create that cohesive look must have taken forever. I was also just thinking it's on a cruise ship. So you also have to think about the resources you have on a cruise ship for costume maintenance. They might not have the same type of like shop washing or dry cleaning potential. So you have to think about when you're making a costume for a cruise or for a theme park, these are not going to have the same opportunities to be cleaned and taken care of. So I have to make a costume that can just be vodka sprayed or I have to make a costume that can be air dried in the sea air in order to make it okay. Dip the clothesline like down the side of the boat, just like on a fishing rod, you know, dip them down. Shout out to the people who have to clean costumes. My least favorite college memory is washing socks. Immediately before the pandemic, I was on a costume maintenance crew for a production of Shakespeare's Troilus and Cressida and the show was incredible. But the problem was I was on a costume maintenance crew of two people, me and one other girl. At the end of this huge battle, my job as costume maintenance was to get all of the blood out of these costumes and be prepared for the next day. The costume designer showed me like, okay, well, you have to put them in this bleach solution, but first you have to take off the buttons. And I've hardwired the buttons to be able to be pulled off with a pin because they can't go in the bleach or else they will rust. So they're not only creating the costume to make sense for the show, but they're also assembling it, keeping in mind how they need to be laundered and cared for. And I was just like, y'all are so smart, but I would stay in the shop till two in the morning soaking these bloody uniforms and praying that they wouldn't be pink for the next day. I'm internally screaming for your past self. Subsection golf wicked. The more fascinating facet of this particular one was the text that described this company named Bra Tenders, a specialty store for undergarments located in Midtown Manhattan, and it has supported the cast, lol, literally, since the show's debut in 2003. A woman named Lori Kaplan, she's the owner of the store. She's affectionately known as the Fairy Bra Mother. She's provided Wicked with hundreds of pairs of tights in dozens of shades of green, with unusual names like Green Snake, Green Oil, or Lime Psychedelic. It's also to like accommodate people of different skin tones because someone with a darker skin tone might look insane with a true lime green on, but if they have more of an olive tone, it'll still have that element of fantasy while being based in reality, which I think is really thoughtful and nice. What a dream. I want to be the owner of bra tenders. Fairy bra mother, bibbity bobbity boobs. (laughs) Subsection hotel. Dear Evan Hansen. One of my favorite things was the Dear Evan Hansen exhibit. (laughs) Trash! (laughs) There's over 100 costumes on exhibition, and Dear Evan Hansen makes up zero of them. Zero. It's like a photo opportunity. Uh, It's like a plaster torso of Evan. Fake pants, but real (laughs) New Balance sneakers? Yeah. So, which, like, why? (laughs) New, fresh New Balance. Like, the kicks are fresh, and it's like, those are way more expensive than just, like, a striped t-shirt, but they said that will be a plaster mold and real shoes and a step stool with like the crumpled paper still in the heel still tragic how evan hansen has risen and fallen (laughs) 
in recent memory. Erin was like, you know, I don't need that. Do you want to take a picture? She said, no, actually, I'm so good. I'm fine. Erin's <laughs> like, I understand that you're going to post it on your business Instagram, and I'd like my reputation to remain intact. Thank you. <laughs> wasn't calling for me. I was like, this is fine. Looking at it. This is not a dream role. <laughs> so, of course, we got multiple pictures. Referred to the visual aids that were released last Monday to see them. Me and Maddie had a great time being Evan Hansen. I like how the cast itself was simultaneously too short and too tall for any real person to fit in. My favorite iteration is Evan without a neck. Maddie as Dear Evan Hansen, Colorized 2021. <laughs> Subsection India. Whipped cream. Something that made an impression on us was this ballet named Whipped Cream. An impression is such a gentle way to put it. <laughs> so for those who are uninitiated, American Ballet Theater put on this production back in 2017. It was designed by Mark Ryden and it quote unquote took the audience's breath away. They transformed dozens of dancers into confectionery delights from gumballs to praline to cupcakes and cookies. To nightmare fuel, <laughs> frankly. Every yeah. single costume is unique. They even have this incredibly tall costume that's supposed to fit two people. You have a lady dressed as a cake. You have these terrifying yak-like creatures that stand at about <laughs> 10 feet tall. There's this pink yak whose head is humongous. It looks like it should weigh like over 100 pounds and it only weighs 35. I'm wondering how they move throughout the ballet. How they puppeteer that. I'm so conflicted. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I need to see it performed. We've just gone through so many exhibits of like form follows function and we need to make something that's accessible to the actors and whatever. And when I saw this woman wearing a full-on hoop skirt covered in gumball balloons, how is she going to do a pirouette in that? And you know, mm. she has the most normal costume. <laughs> I, <don't Yeah>. <laughs> I, I just want to see it alive and moving. Mm -hmm. I want to see the candy cane slithering. That <laughs> one just really spoke out. Erin yeah, really know. got down on this mannequin's <laughs> level and I think tried to have like a soul meld with the snake. It was just like, right. And I'm like three feet back praying that this doesn't seep into my nightmare that night. I'm glad the text provided says the word sinister. They must have been terrifying from an audience perspective. These are just costumes. They are static and they made us feel so much, especially when you add them in the context of it being ballet, that mm. juxtaposition of something sugary, but creepy, but also doesn't seem like it would be able to move in a ballet way. We say all this with a sense of love because we're obsessed with it. We changed it to our group chat picture. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The sheer amount of artistic skill on display is astonishing. It really speaks to memorable costume design. It's so remarkable that they create this visceral, emotional reaction. And with ballet, that's so important. There's no words mm -hmm. to a ballet. So being able to achieve that effect and achieve that atmosphere, mastery. You can't ever forget about it. You can't unsee it. Location data downloaded. Now archiving in the collective unconscious. We thoroughly enjoyed our experience, didn't we? Oh, completely. Luckily, this episode is coming out while the exhibition is still up. You can reserve online. Links in the show notes, obviously. Like, this is mastery of a craft that you get to see. 70% of the workforce is female, and they come from 39 different countries that speak dozens of languages, and they all have an average of 18 years of experience. Now is the time to support the arts and, and all aspects of it. This entire community 
community is built up of so many workers and so many passionate people and not just the actors that you're seeing. It's a work of art that everyone contributes to. And I think that deserves so much appreciation, which this museum did a great job of showcasing. The CIC needs that kind of help as Broadway starts to get back into action. That's a way to support the arts in a direct way. If you don't want to give your money right to a show or you don't have the kind of money to see a bunch of shows, the money is going directly to costumers and you get to go see some costumes. Thank you ladies so much for being on this episode with me. You're just magnificent. When we start our off, 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 off Broadway production of whipped cream in like your backyard. <laughs> way I off. Way, way <laughs> off. I hope everyone comes and sees Aaron as the candy cane snake. <sighs> see, that's my dream role. That right there. I don't know if we said this at the beginning, but Aaron and I met at this exhibit. So this is our villain origin story. So <laughs> can I have an evil laugh to close out the show? <laughs> End of record. We here at Hippie Pink Ferret appreciate your business. Please enjoy the following state-mandated credit sequence. Dot All or Nothing is a production of Hippie Pink Ferret. And I've been JoJo, your host. Thanks again to my guests. Sources and links, such as one to a transcript, can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, keep up to date with our studio on Facebook or Instagram at Hippie Pink Ferret. That is H-I-P-P-I-E Pink Ferret. If you really like what you heard, rate our show or leave us a comment. I do produce everything myself right now, so whatever means you have to support the field of edutainment is very much appreciated. If you really, really like what you heard, consider becoming a patron or making a one-time PayPal donation. You'll get a shout-out, unlock exclusive stuff, and every bit of your generosity allows me to keep the lights on and continue providing content. Custom music by Alec Rice. Additional songs and sound effects provided by Descript and Vato Elements Mix It, VoiceChanger.io, VoiceGenerator.io, and Zapsplat.com. All audio used is free to use or properly licensed. Again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. Remember to find reasons to have art in your life. Like, why there's not a Lady Gaga jukebox musical or a Madonna jukebox musical or a Christine... Well, I guess Moulin Rouge. But <laughs> <laughs> Christina Aguilera musical. Hey! It's just her doing that for like a two hours straight. Daddy, just get rid Christina, Christina, we're putting on Avenue Q in an hour. Hey! Ma'am, the line is, I'm kind of pretty and pretty damn smart. <laughs> this is the worst stunt casting I have ever done. <laughs> Who thought this was a good idea? Are you walking down the street? Is that Christina Aguilera? Hey! Hey! Oh, 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 yeah. And um, hello to you too, Christina. How has your day been? <laughs>